I know many of you have written, have read much that was written by C.S. Lewis. You've read much that was written about him. Maybe some of you saw the movie last year about C.S. Lewis entitled The Most Reluctant Convert. Well, because the testimony of C.S. Lewis is so powerful and because it's so vivid, I want to offer it to you this morning. Listen to how C.S. Lewis describes his transfer out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. He writes, you must picture me alone in that room, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him, capital H, of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared had come at last upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility, which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore the love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in, kicking, struggling, resentful, darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape. The words compel them to come in have been so abused by wicked men that we shudder at them, but properly understood, they plumb the depth of divine mercy. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. Listen to his words, brought in, compel them to come in. His compulsion is our liberation. It's God choosing to act on our behalf. Nothing, listen, nothing outside of God can compel him to act. He's too infinite. He's too powerful. He's too majestic. God is too completely complete in and of himself to need anything outside of himself or to be forced or compelled to do anything. And that means that nothing in you or nothing in me compelled him to act on our behalf. He did not look at you and say, wow, look at that one. Wow, look how great he is. Look how wonderful she is. I've got to have that one for my kingdom. No. God's not compelled by anything but his own character. And the essence of his character is love. This God then who is love is compelled by that love to save us. So as we return for a second week in our new series on Jesus' parables of the kingdom, we're going to look at the heart of the God to whom this kingdom belongs. As you and I live in this world that is not our home, 
As we live in this world in which we are strangers and aliens, we must know and feel the care of God and the pleasure of God that rests upon us. So toward that end, I'm going to invite you now to take out your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. When you found your place in Luke chapter 12, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 32, this is the word of God. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that through the power of your spirit, we would come to it now with open hearts, eager to receive it, eager to understand it, eager to know the depth of your love for us and pleasure you find in us. To believe that, Lord, we will need the work of your grace. And so work it in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as you know, we haven't actually gotten to the parables of the kingdom yet that Jesus teaches. But Lord willing, uh, we are eventually going to, for right now, last week and at least this week, we're preparing ourselves to understand them well so that we'll know how to live well in this kingdom of heaven while we are still living in this kingdom on earth. So last week, I mentioned that there are reasons that we should study these parables, and I offered only one reason to you. And that reason is that we study these parables because they help us to remember and to come to grips with the fact that this world is not our home. While you and I live out our lives on this earth, we have to identify as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we must have both of our feet firmly planted in that kingdom. God does not call us to straddle the two, to live part-time in one and part-time in the other. No, we must live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This morning... We're going to offer a second reason for looking at these parables of the kingdom. And that reason is that these stories that Jesus tells show us that God is pleased to give us his kingdom. It's the good pleasure of God to bring us into his kingdom. And we have to know that pleasure and feel that pleasure as we live as strangers in this world. So I'm going to break down this second reason into two truths that flow from it. So follow. The first truth of the second reason that we're studying these parables 
is that the Lord has a shepherd's heart toward us. The Lord has a shepherd's heart toward us. Look again in verse 32. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. This is the only time in all of Scripture that this phrase, little flock, is used. So please, don't miss the tenderness of what Jesus is saying. I know here in the South, we have a phrase and we often ridicule it when we say, bless your heart. But this little flock, to me it is like a a pure and a divine utterance of this phrase. We can feel the hand of Jesus on our heads as he calls us little flock. The phrase gives us hope because if we are a little flock, then that makes Jesus our good shepherd. Some of our best loved verses in scripture talk about the Lord being our shepherd. The most famous is Psalm 23. You help me out with it. The Lord is my, I shall not, as we live in the kingdom of heaven, while we are still in this world that is not our home, our shepherd provides for us, we shall not want. Isaiah 40, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. As we live in the kingdom of heaven, while we are still in this world that is not our home, look, our shepherd gathers us to himself. He keeps us close to his heart. Is that good news? John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. As we live in this kingdom of heaven while we're still on this earth that's not our home, our shepherd knows us and he knows us intimately in the same way that the Father knows the Son and think of the depth of that knowledge. It goes back To all eternity, and it's perfect in the same way our shepherd knows you and me. He knows that we fear even the bravest among us. And so our shepherd says to us here in verse 32, fear not. He knows your fears. He knows my fears, and he's with us in the midst of them. Jesus uses the word little here. How often do you feel small in this world? Sometimes insignificant. Even you and I as a body of believers, as those who are followers of Christ, as devoted disciples, still we feel small in this world. My desk at my home is under a second story window that looks out over a little lake. And that's the spot from which I watched and listened to Hurricane Ian on Friday. 
the wind was a roar. And the lake that never has waves on it had waves on it during the storm. And for me, that became a great image of how we sometimes feel as Jesus' sheep in this stormy culture. We fear it's going to sweep over us, blow us away. Our voice, we feel, is canceled, not loud enough to be heard over the roar. We believe ourselves to be too small in number to stand against the wave that seems to overwhelm the truth of God and the good things that God has for those who will listen to his voice and walk in his ways and bow in his presence. So we stop here just for a moment to feel the hand of our good shepherd upon our heads. He provides in the midst of all we face. He carries us. He holds us, often while we're trembling, close to his heart because he knows all our fears. And so as we study these parables of the kingdom, whatever it is we hear, whatever is required of us as citizens of the kingdom, we need not fear We have a good shepherd. Is that good news? That's the first truth of the second reason that we're studying these kingdom parables to see the heart of God. The second truth is related to it. And that is that God is our father who takes pleasure in us. And so Jesus is our shepherd and God is our father. Listen again to verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your father's good pleasure. This is not the first time that Jesus has referred to God as your father. He's used the phrase before. Let your light so shine before men that people might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Love your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. Therefore, pray, our Father, who art in heaven. But there's something unique about what Jesus says here in verse 32. Follow the grammar, if you will. Instead of saying your father, Jesus makes father possessive here. And it's the only time in all the uses of your father that directly states the feeling that your father possesses toward his sons and daughters, toward you and toward me. He possesses good pleasure toward us so that it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 3.16 is one of the most beautiful and important verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life. 
But that verse, is express, that verse expresses the love of God generally toward the world, toward whosoever might believe. But this verse, here in Luke 32, is not general. It's specific. Little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Our father possesses good pleasure toward us. He finds satisfaction in us. He's delighted to give to us, to bring us into his glorious kingdom. I don't know about you, but I don't often feel like I'm the cause of delight to anyone. And please don't say amen. (laughs) Bad time for that. But especially a holy God. Because you and I are so familiar with our sinfulness, with our struggles, with our failures. They're not delightful. In fact, because of them, we very often only ever feel displeasure toward ourselves. That's what we possess the feeling we possess toward ourselves. Even if we don't sin wildly, neither do we follow the Lord as closely as we ought. Neither are we the devoted disciples we should be. Nevertheless, it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Now, because I'm quite confident that I'm not the only one here in this room that struggles with believing that the pleasure of God rests upon me, I want us to hear it straight from the voice of God himself so that we might be convinced. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 4. God says, You shall no more be termed forsaken, And your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her. For the Lord delights in you. Psalm 44. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm And the light of your face, for you delighted in them. The face of God and the light that it contains shines on us because he delights in us. Psalm 149. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. One more. Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you. Exult over you with loud singing. Can you feel 
the pleasure of God that rests upon you. We can make it through this world that's not our home when we remember our Father takes pleasure in us. And this word pleasure carries with it not only the idea of emotion, but also of action. God's pleasure isn't just a good feeling toward us that could remain unacted upon. I have those feelings all the time. I have good thoughts toward people. I have good thoughts toward you. I have good feelings about you. But I don't often follow through with those good feelings. I never get around to writing that letter I intended to write. Maybe to you. I never get around to doing that good thing that I intended to do because someone else delights me and gives me pleasure. God is not like us because he considers it a good thing to give us his kingdom. He determines and resolves that he will do so. So listen, God has both emotion and volition toward us. He feels for us, so he chooses for us, and he chooses to send his son. And really, this is everything right here. We scratch our heads and ask, how can God delight in me even though I fill in the blank? Well, here's the answer. He delights in you because he delights in his son. And he delights in the perfect obedience of Christ. And now when God looks at us, he sees us through the Son in whom he delights in a way that defies description from our own words. And so again, I'll let Scripture define it for us. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. And behold, the heavens opened before him. Can you imagine? And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And he heard a voice from heaven say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How the Father loves the Son. When Jesus was transfigured, On that mountain before the eyes of Peter and James and John, when his face shone like the sun, and when his clothes became dazzling white as light, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so this is the feeling, this feeling of love and pleasure that the Father has for the Son, and now hear the action. Colossians 1, verse 19 and 20. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God feels for us. And so Christ acts on our behalf. Emotion, volition, love, and action. This is the pleasure of God.
Charles Spurgeon writes or preaches. The first link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but my badness. Not my merit, but my misery. Not my standing, but my falling. Not my riches, but my need. He comes to visit his people, yet not to admire their beauties, but to to remove their deformities. Not to reward their virtues, but to forgive their sins. God feels for us, and so Christ acts on our behalf. Emotion, volition, love, action. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. People often want to know what they're supposed to do with a sermon. All right, that's all well and good. Now, what am I supposed to do? I can only say this. You and I, we didn't do anything to earn the pleasure of God. And you cannot do anything to keep his pleasure. God's delight over you has nothing to do with anything in you, but everything to do with what's in him. It isn't what you are like that he brought you into his kingdom. It's what he is like that he brings us into his kingdom. What a great savior we have. And so as we will see in these coming parables of the kingdom, it's a beautiful thing. The kingdom is. It's a challenging thing. It's a costly thing. It's a thing other than and foreign to this world. And so, as you and I live in it, when you know the pleasure of God on you and you feel his fatherly love toward you, And the weight of the shepherding hand of Jesus on your head, just bow in awe and humble thanks and praise him. Praise him for giving you the gift of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, this is beyond our ability, truly, to to comprehend, to understand your love, your pleasure. Father, always we are left with the question, how can it be? The answer is Jesus. The answer is the good news of the gospel. The answer is the feeling of love that turns into action. And so, Lord, we pray because your pleasure is upon us that we would not deny it. We would embrace it. We would be grateful for it in awe of a God such as you who would do such as this for us. Give us the ability to feel and understand this truth and to act in accordance with it. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.